Well, if you have your copy of the scripture, go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 5. We are in what may be arguably the most well-known portion of the book of Galatians, that section in which the fruit of the Spirit is found. There's lists of all the fruit that the Spirit bears in the life of the believer. But go ahead and turn there, Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 16 to verse 26 to the end of the chapter, Galatians 5, verses 16 to 26. And you will find it helpful to have your own Bibles open and reading along with me. I'm reading out the English Standard Version for your um, knowledge. Let me pray before we go to God's Word this morning. And let's ask His blessing on it as we come to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You that You are so faithful to wake us up this morning, to put it in our hearts to be here. Lord, it is truly a miracle that we would want to be um, here. We who are sinners would want to be listening to your word and learning from you and learning of Christ. Father, thank you. Thank you for the work of your spirit. Thank you for the regenerating grace of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the way that he unites us to our Savior. Oh, Father, send the Spirit to unite us to Christ as your word is preached that even now, fruit would be born in our lives, that it would be evident to all that we belong to Christ, that we are being conformed to his image. Lord Jesus, accomplish your purposes. If there are any here who have never been born of your spirit, that today would be the day of salvation. We pray that eternity would break into time and that you would accomplish all your will this morning. We thank you that you will, Father, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16, the Apostle Paul there writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. I warn you, as I warn you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit... Let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This ends the reading of God's Word to us this morning. Well, when I was a boy, I remember sitting with my dad, and this was a time when heavyweight boxing was still popular before ultimate fighting and all of the more uh, vicious forms of fighting have now manifested themselves in America. And I remember distinctly um, watching the pre-fight section of all these fights I watched with my dad. And I was intrigued by the way that they would trace the history of these fighters and they would weigh the fighters. 
and they would talk about the likeliness of one fighter beating the other. And what I really was intrigued by was the way that the fighters would speak about what they thought the outcome was going to be. And almost inevitably, you would have one boxer who was arrogantly boasting about how badly he was going to beat the other guy, and the other one almost in a humble, self-defiant sense, hoping for a good result, going in there quietly, patiently. And, and I remember distinctly one famous fight, two very great boxers, and that very thing happened, and the humble boxer completely destroyed his opponent. Now, it wasn't necessarily because of his humility, but he wasn't trusting in himself. He wasn't trusting in what he was doing. Now, why do I give you that illustration? Helpful or not, Paul is going to bring us into a war. He's going to bring us into a picture of two opposing things. He's going to bring us into the sphere of the flesh and the spirit in the life of the believer as he now moves into the section on Christian living, as he moves into the section of this letter where he's going to talk about uh, the fruit of faith and the Christian life and how the Christian life is one and what the Christian life looks like, Paul is going to hold forth two opponents. And he's going to tell you about them. He's going to tell you the relationship they have. He's going to tell you the nature of the battle. And he's going to tell you characteristic, distinguishing traits about them. And then he's going to tell you how the one is victorious over the other. He's going to tell you how one is victorious over the other. This morning, we're going to look at those three things. First, we're going to see the nature of the fight. Secondly, we're going to see the distinguishing marks of the opponents. And finally, we're going to see how that victory in the battle is attained. The nature of the battle, the distinguishing marks of the opponents, and how victory is obtained or secured. Well, notice Paul has been insistent that the gospel and the Christian life is by faith and faith alone. And in contrast to the Judaizers who said you have to bring something into it, there has to be something you do. There has to be something you contribute. Yes, you need Christ, but you need circumcision. There has to be something fleshly, something in you that does something for God to accept you and for the Christian life to be one. And we saw last week, we saw last week, that what Paul does is he shows the futility of those trusting in the flesh, those trusting in themselves, trusting in the Mosaic law, putting themselves under it as a system of salvation, Paul has shown the futility. In fact, he says, in contrast, the irony is those who trust Jesus alone end up working that out with faith, working through love in loving one another. Whereas those trusting in what they do end up causing schism, division, and biting and devouring one another. Paul's going to pick back up on that in that list of vices here in Galatians 5 when he talks about the works of the flesh, the works of the flesh in contrast to the fruit of the Spirit. But first, notice what Paul does. Paul says in verse 16, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the flesh literally lusts or or earnestly desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. These are opposed to one another, so that you do not do the things You wish. Now, Paul is going to do two things in bringing out the nature of the battle. He's going to do two things. First, he's going to say, if you are in Christ, if you are one who has faith in Jesus and are not trusting in yourself, you are involved in warfare. 
You're involved in warfare with those that are not. Paul's spoken a lot about persecution, how those that are not trusting Jesus hate those that do, that inevitable opposition between people, between the Jews and those who are trusting in Jesus, the unbelieving Jews and those who are trusting in Christ. But Paul is going to say there is a battle within. Now, that's important because somebody could say, well, Paul, if you're saying it's by faith in Christ and nothing that I do, then it doesn't matter what I do. Paul is concerned in guarding against that. And Paul's going to say, no, I'm going to tell you. Walk in the Spirit. It's not actually something you do. It's something that's a, and I'll explain this in a minute, it's actually a state in which you live. It's continuing to believe in Jesus and have the Spirit apply his saving work to you. That abide in that, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So Paul, in the first hand, is going to guard against that notion that you're saying it's by faith alone and so it doesn't matter what I do. He's going to say, no, if you have faith in Jesus, walk in the Spirit and you are going to put to death the deeds of the flesh. But then he's also going to tell you that there is a battle raging in every true believer. And so to guard against perfectionism, which somebody could say, well, Paul, now you're saying then if I'm in the Spirit, if I have faith in Jesus, then I can be perfect then that means sinlessness for me. Paul's going to say, no, there is a war going on in you. And notice what he says. He says in verse 17, the flesh against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. These are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Martin Luther in his commentary on Galatians has this great section where he's expounding these verses. And Luther's saying, Look, this is great comfort. That second part should be great comfort to the true Christian. You ought not doubt your salvation just because you see manifestations of the flesh going on. But Luther also safeguards and says everyone who is in Christ, everyone who has faith in Christ, who's not trusting what he's doing, will feel that battle in him. Here's how he says it. He says the more godly a man is, the more does he feel the battle between the flesh and the spirit. The more godly a man is, not the more ungodly a man is, the more, frankly, Luther will say the more ungodly a man is, he won't even recognize there's a battle because he's not fighting it. He's giving in to the flesh. The more godly a man is, the more he will feel the battle between the flesh and the spirit. Well, that begs the question, doesn't it? What is the flesh? What does Paul mean in the flesh? What is the spirit? These are important things to understand. Paul, in a very, very theologically nuanced way, is going to bring out this idea of the flesh being the old age, the old age of fallenness. He opens this letter with the language of this. Christ has delivered us from this present evil age. There is an age. There is a world system. There is The world is under the sway of the evil one, the whole world. And that language of flesh, I think in a very real sense, is denoted as the old age, the fallen world in which we live, man's natural environment, his sin nature, the environment around him, the allurement of the world, the lies of the evil one, everything going on in the sphere in which we live by nature. And we live in that sphere even after we're redeemed, don't we? Paul will say in Galatians 2.20, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. So the flesh in Galatians, seems to denote that present evil age, the age of fallenness, natural man, human weakness, human frailty, and human trust in religious accomplishments. Because what were the Judaizers doing? 
They were taking a fleshly sign, circumcision. They were taking a sign that literally went on the flesh of man and making that into their righteousness. They were putting on themselves, we do this, and putting themselves under God's standards apart from Christ who fulfills them and saying, in that sense, our religious attainments, are, it, it gives us fleshly achievement. And Paul is going to say, in a very subtle way, any kind of human religion, any kind of self-justification, anything that you're trying to do to gain favor with God, is fleshly religion. Any of it. It's interesting to me, and I'll get to this in a moment, when you look at all the world religions, all the systematically defined religions of the world, none of them can answer the question, how does your heart get changed? Except for Christianity, because in Christianity we have a Holy Spirit who comes from Jesus and enters man and changes his heart. But every other religion is an external desire at performance in man to make himself good enough. Every other religion. Tim Keller puts it, uh, every other religion is do, Christianity is done. Christianity is done for you, outside of you, in the saving work of Jesus, and then applied to you. Every other religion is do. And Paul's going to say, do religion belongs to the fleshly age of this world. Um, I hope that you sense something of living in a fallen world. I imagine if you're in Christ, you do every day. Feel the pull of the world, feel the allurements, the attractions, the things that you know are displeasing to God, the things you see on television, here in movies, in music, in artwork, um, everywhere. The things that you know are displeasing to God, that is the flesh. That is this age. And every form of self-justification and, and every form of human religion is the flesh. And Paul's going to tell us the flesh is also your own evil desires ethically or morally in your heart. Those things that remain, the, the remnants of the old you. We are new creatures in Christ, but we carry around a body of death. We carry around with us uh, indwelling sin. Romans 7 is the parallel passage to this. Paul's going to say there's a battle. Don't do the things I want to do. I do the things I don't want to do. Sin is in me. Christ is in me. How can sin and Christ be in me? Again, Luther's statement, we are simultaneously saints and sinners. Simultaneously. There's a mixture in the best Christian, the most godly Christian. There is a mixture. Um, uh, let me just point out, it is impossible to reconcile the flesh and the spirit. You can't have an armistice between them. You can't have a peace treaty. You can't say, well... I've got sin in me, I've got Christ in me, I'll just have, I'll make a peace treaty and just live with it content. No, again, Luther, the more godly a man is, the more he feels that battle. The more he feels the hostility, the enmity, the pull, the, the discomfort. If you're a true believer, I think one great sign is that you hate sin. You hate loving sin. You hate liking sin. You hate displeasing Jesus and doing the desires of the flesh. That's one good mark that you're in Jesus. Again, if you don't feel that, I would be concerned for you. If you sitting there know your own heart and you don't ever feel a battle inside over wanting to please the Lord but ending up doing things you don't want to do, that's probably fruit that, that you're a dead tree spiritually and that you're not in Christ and that you're probably trusting in something, trusting in yourself. Now, 
so this whole idea of the flesh and the idea of the spirit. Now, what is the spirit? The spirit is the breaking in of God's spirit on Pentecost after Jesus ascended to heaven. It is the age of the spirit. It is the eternal Christ sending the eternal spirit into the world all across the face of the earth to live in the hearts of his people, to influence them with his grace and mercy, that the spirit comes, that he comes to your heart, that he dwells in us, that he sanctifies us, that he influences in this gospel age especially, he is spreading his influence across the world. And so that means we have two ages. We have two ages simultaneously at work here. Doesn't mean that they're equal. Doesn't mean that they're equally powerful. The spirit is more powerful. The spirit is victorious. The spirit will conquer. But you have two opposing principles at work in this world after Jesus goes to heaven and sends the spirit, especially after he goes to heaven and sends the spirit into the world. Now notice, notice what Paul says. He says, the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you do not do what you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, Paul's not going to say there's no commandments. He's not going to say God's moral law is not still important. God sets it aside. Uh, Charles Spurgeon puts it best. He says, for the unbeliever, the law is over him, condemning him, crushing him, telling him he needs to try harder. For the believer, it's under his feet. For the believer, the law of God is the pathway that the Spirit causes us to run down. Very helpful imagery. For the unbeliever, over his head. For the believer, under his feet. Luther will go on to say, he will go on to say, if you are a believer, you shouldn't feel the condemnation of the law. I agree with that. If you're in Christ, if you're trusting in his righteousness alone, you fail, you go back to Christ, it gives you an opportunity to know more forgiveness, more grace, more repentance, more healing. You ought not feel that you're under the law as this enslaving bondage. Do more, try harder, do better. When you fail, you're condemned. You ought not feel that if you're in Christ. Christ was condemned. He was cursed. He was crushed. He died to the power of the law and the power of sin so that we would not be under the law as a system of salvation, a covenant of works. Now, Paul is going to develop these, this idea of the battle. He's going to develop it and pick back up in verse 24, where he's going to say, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You see, the outcome of this battle was determined at the cross. The outcome of the spiritual battle believers are, every believer is engaged in, was determined at the cross. It was one at the cross. Uh, Paul has already said we were crucified with him. When Jesus died as our representative, you died with him. That's huge for the Christian life. If you ever wonder, why can't I grow? Why can't I advance in, in sanctification? It may be because you're not believing that you died with Jesus when he died. That you died to the power of sin. That you died to the condemnation of sin. That as your representative, when Jesus hung on the cross, you hung there with him. The old hymn writer, uh, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? And, and John Gerstner says, you bet you were there. You were on the cross with him. You put him there and he was there for you and you died with him. And that's, that's where the victory is won. The flesh, the old man, the old nature, the enslaving power of sin, the deadness of, reg- of unregenerate hearts, the enmity and hatred for God was crucified when Jesus died. So now we love Jesus. The nature of the battle is not an uncertain uh, outcome. The nature, nature of the battle is we do love him. We do belong to him if we're in Christ. Now, distinguishing Mark, secondly, 
distinguishing marks. How do you know whether you're in the flesh, in the spirit? How do we know what these things are? Well, notice what Paul says. In verse 19 and following, he gives these lists of virtues and vices. I'm sorry, vices and virtues. He's going to give these two lists. And what he's going to do is set them up with two titles. He's going to say, works of the flesh, fruit of the spirit. Now, before we look at these lists, before you look at these lists and say, where am I in this? Where do I fall? We look at the titles. It's interesting. He doesn't say fruit of the flesh. He could have said, here's the fruit of the flesh. He says the works of the flesh. Remember, the Judaizers were working for their salvation. They were trying to work to please God. And what Paul's going to do in this kind of rhetorical double entendre, he's going to say the works of the law lead to the works of the flesh. And if you are working and trying to establish righteousness by what you do, here's what your life is going to actually look like because there's no power over sin. So he gives this list. Notice what he says. He says, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, rivalries, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and everything else like that. Now, when you look at that list, and then you look at not the works of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit, a very important nuance, works of the flesh, fruit of the Spirit, and you read about love, and joy, and peace, and gentleness, and kindness, and meekness, and self-control, you have a very obvious contrast between things that are disruptive, things that are disorderly, things that bring chaos, things that are bombastic, and things that are sweet, and tender, and wonderful, like flowers, compared to something harmful, and rough, and disturbing. It's very interesting. You, you just have to look at the list for one second and you see that aspect at work in them. Now, what I want to say about the distinguishing marks, if you are not in Jesus, your life will be characterized by the works of the flesh. Now, you may be, a, a, by nature, a kind, um, demeanor kind of person. You may have a kind, you may have a gentle demeanor. Um, again, I want to quote Tim Keller, who says, you know, it's probably just because you're a selfish person and want people to like you. That's, that's why. There are a lot of unbelievers that are nice, that are kind, that do things for people. It's because they have selfish motives. Um, they're, they're not confrontational because they're afraid to confront people, because they want people to like them. Or they're overly confrontational, he goes on to say, because they don't care about people. Now, boldness is a, a, a real work of God, uh, a, a boldness and a gentleness, but these are produced by the Spirit of God. These are not natural things. And so if you're not in Christ, your life is going to be marked out by slavery to all of these things. Now, most of these things, I can't look into your heart and see. Your spouse may see some of them. You are the only person left to examine yourself and say, is my life marked out by these things? Jealousy, envy, you can hide that very well. You can hide these things very well. You can hide all kinds of things. Um, but is that what your heart is full of? Now, you may be a believer and you may say, wow, I envy people. I'm often jealous. I sometimes have outbursts of wrath. Well, Paul has not said you wouldn't. He said there's a war going on. But is what's inside you, the love of Christ, the joy of Christ, the peace of Christ, the gentleness of Christ, the kindness of Christ, the self-control of Jesus. Now, why do I put it that way? 
Why do I say in distinguishing these marks that they are the love of Christ, the joy of Christ, the peace of Christ? Well, because he said it. He said it in John 14 through 16. He said, my joy, in the context of the coming spirit, Jesus said, and listen very carefully, Jesus said, my joy I give to you. My peace I leave with you. Abide in my love. You see, these things were the things of Christ, and he sends his spirit to impart those things to his people who are united to him. And so that means if we want to know what real love looks like, what real joy and what peace and what self-control look like, we look at Christ. And we see what his life looked like. Um, some of you may be offended that Jesus turned tables over in a temple. Why would you do that, Jesus? That's an outburst of wrath. No, that was an outburst of holy, righteous indignation um, of the Father's uh, name being dishonored. Many of you might read things Jesus says that sound sharp and harsh. If you don't repent, a tower is going to fall on all of you. Well, that doesn't sound like love and joy and peace and gentleness. Well, it was Jesus' holiness and his holy boldness and his love for his Father's glory and his love for sinners repent and his love for justice. Because if we think of these things only on this plane, and here's the real danger, if we think of the fruit of the Spirit only as my interactions with you, do I think you're loving? Do you think I'm loving? Do I think you're joyful? Do you think I'm joyful? You're missing the whole thing. The question is, are you united to Jesus? And if you are, then you are in your life, manifesting the real, biblically defined fruits of the Spirit that come from Him to you that have respect to the joy we have in our Savior. That's not actually something, a response I make to you. The joy that we have is a deep-seated longing for Christ and a gladness that He has accomplished everything for us and a love to know Him and a love for Him giving us everything. And the love that we have is first and foremost a love for him that is then manifested in a love for his people and even for our enemies. And so all of these things have a vertical and a horizontal dimension. And so we don't get to define them. We look to Jesus and we see how they manifested themselves in his life, how they worked themselves out in his life. Let me also say that these are not the fruits of the Spirit plural. They are the fruit of the Spirit. You don't get one and not the others. Now, there are times in our life, many times when, and those of you who have had fruit trees know this, that the tree doesn't bear as much fruit as in other times. And fruit takes time to to be born on a tree. Fruit takes time to develop and to grow. And so we don't make hasty judgments just because we don't see as much as we would like to see. But we must see something of all of these things being manifested in our life and we must realize the opposition they are in to our old man and the flesh. Let me, let me tell you what Luther says, because I think it's helpful, even though it's not in this passage per se. He says, when the motives of the flesh do rage, the only remedy is to take up the sword of the spirit, the word of salvation, and fight. When the motives of the flesh do rage, the only remedy is to take up the sword of the Spirit, the Spirit who produces that fruit in you. The Spirit of Christ has given us the sword of the Spirit to take up and to fight against the desires of the flesh. And so finally, finally we come to the outcome. How do we know where this victory is? Well, as I've said, verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You've already died with him. You've already had sin's power broken. 
you are not a slave to sin. You may feel enslaved to sin. And this is very important. If you're a true Christian, this is like the biggest thing. This is the biggest thing if you're a true Christian. Why do I often feel enslaved to sin if I'm not? If you're not a true Christian, you never think about this. If you're a true Christian, if you're a true believer, you often think, why do I often feel enslaved to this? And the Bible says I'm not. And I think it's because we, we stop fighting the fight. We forget what happened to us. We stop using the sword of the Spirit. We get careless. We get slack. We stop fighting. We get tired of the battle. Look, we're in a battle. We're in a battle that will not stop until Christ comes again. Your whole life is a battle. You know, before we were converted, and I know it was true for me, before I was converted, I wasn't fighting anything. (laughs) I was living in the flesh, in the lust of the flesh. I felt no battle. After conversion, as soon as you're converted, the battle begins. The battle of the ages has begun. And your entire life until you are with Christ or until Christ comes again is a fight. And it is a fight to the death. And it is secured in Jesus because the Spirit is victorious in those who have him. Now, then the question may say, well, the question may come, well, why am I not seeing more progress? Well, maybe you're quenching the Spirit. Maybe you're just giving in to the lust of the flesh. You're not fighting. And so it is possible to quench the Spirit. And to say no to the Spirit. And to say, no, I don't want you to have influence in my life. No, I don't want you to keep me from sinning. No, I want these things. Remember, the two are in opposition so that we do the things we don't want to do. And so we need to be sensitive to the fact that the Spirit is victorious, that the Spirit is at work in us, that he is bearing fruit in us, that we have died with Christ, our bodies have been, our old man has been crucified with Jesus. And then notice what Paul says in verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. If you're here today and you're saying, I live by the Spirit, then walk by the Spirit. Paul's saying, do it. You know, my children will often tell me they can do something. Daddy, Daddy, I can do this. And I'm like, okay, do it. And they're like, no, they get real shy. Spiritually, if you think that you have the Spirit, then walk by the Spirit. That's what Paul's saying you belong to Christ, you have the Spirit. And then notice how he ends this in verse 26. Notice this. And Paul has been kind of bringing this back to the surface throughout this letter. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You know, I wonder, I wonder if Paul writes that seemingly out of place because he knows that every Christian has the Spirit. Paul knows that every Christian has the Spirit. Every Christian has the fruit of the Spirit. Every Christian is united to Jesus. And if you're not, if you're not trusting in what you do, you're not going to be conceited and judge your brother because you, you're going to see yourself all on the same plane. You may not all have the same manifestation of the fruit, but you're going to see others as all on the same plane as you. doesn't mean you don't correct people. Paul's going to go on to say, if you see somebody sinning, Bear with them, correct them in love, help a brother out. But we're all on the same plane. We all have the Spirit. We're all in Christ. We're all, in that sense, we all have the same privileges and same benefits, and we didn't do anything for it. We did nothing for it. And so if we become conceited, if we envy one another, if we bite and devour one another, it's because we've forgotten that everything's in Jesus, we've done nothing for it, and that the Spirit is work at work among us. Let me say, we're a small group, but if there's anybody here that's not in Jesus, and you're living among the flesh, in in the works of the flesh, turn to him, 
Cast off your own confidence in what you're doing. Cast off your fleshly religion. Look to him in faith. Rest in him. He has done it all. He has borne the burden. He has then given himself to all of his disciples. If you're in Jesus and you're struggling in the battle and there's chances that all of you are struggling at some level, no, you've died with Jesus. Your flesh has been crucified. You have the Spirit. The Spirit is there producing fruit in you. Pray for more of that fruit to be born. Pray for more victory. Pray for more desire to fight against the flesh. Because look, the battle's not going to stop. And if you give up, and I'm going to close on a very sober note, if you stop fighting, you may prove that you were never a Christian. Paul's going to say, those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you stop fighting and you give in, Paul will say in Romans 8, those who do the deeds of the flesh will die. If you give up, you may prove that you were never in Christ. And so listen, these are sober things. They're encouraging things. I hope that you will press on looking to Jesus in faith, trusting in what he's doing in you for his glory in this world, in the battle, and for the world to come. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for such a great um, word about the age of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit being born in us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we have died to sin's power, that we are no longer in the flesh. We are not in Adam. We are in our Savior, Jesus. Father, thank you for how you care for us and keep us and protect us. Please uh, bless as we sit down and eat this meal together, Lord Jesus. Fill us with your Spirit. We pray these things in your name. Amen.